What up? y'all welcome to another episode of the this is not that podcast i'm joanna one of your hosts here with the homies say what's up guys what's up it's isaiah what up isaiah what let me get this back what up everybody how y'all doing for those obviously no one can see but ralphie's also in a bright white shirt too he's looking very uh joyous today after after that conversation, it does look like had. some sunlight is beaming in on him as well. Like just like he's he's glowing with with the positive and good energy today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I was feeling good, but then we just had a conversation before we uh, started to record. It kind of got me nervous, though, a little bit nervous, you know. Did you want to share it? No, we don't got to talk like- about it because that might that might cause more. You know what I mean? I might. I feel you. I might get more issues. You know what I mean? But you know, I'm a little bit nervous though. I, I feel you. Like I said, the same thing happened to me. Uh, but besides creepy stuff, what's been going on with, with you guys lately? <laughs> what's been going on, man? Nothing. Uh, actually, uh, it's been really good. I, I'm finally getting my health in order. I've been Health has been a, a big issue of mine for the last couple of years. And I had a doctor visit about two or three weeks ago that was really good and set me up for a real positive mindset. So I'm just trying to you know, stack on those uh those W's I put up and you know, I've been hitting the gym. The diet be kind of whack, but I'm getting that in order too. So but I feel good, man. I'm in good spirits, you know. That's what's up. Um I know your Instagram stories inspire me to work out too. So I have I'm super proud of myself. I worked out like three times this week and I have intentions to do a get a couple more workouts before the end of the week. So yes, also trying to get my life. Um I got a facial this past weekend and I just felt like, oh, look at me, I'm glowing. I am glowing. Mm. So um yeah, like just trying to do some self-care and make sure that I'm um making sure that everything inside of me is is well and happy and just flowing. And, um, yeah, I had, uh, this young woman reach out to me about possibly being her mentor, which also has me a little bit on the like, Oh, okay. Look at me. I've feel like I've stepped into this new, uh, um, part of my, my growth and development that I am a mentor to someone. Um, I have a lot of mentors myself. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's just, it just says something about where I am in life. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I think, wait, I think you so wait. No. Okay. Last time we did give you a happy birthday recorded on your birthday. Right. You know, so yeah, I got you. I got you. So you leaning yeah. into it. I got you. I'm leaning into 34. It's, it's looking, looking bright. It must what about you, of, Isaiah? Things have been, I'm well, like, I was just going to say, like, it must be kind of flattering to have someone want you to be their mentor. Like, did you feel flattered? I did. I do. Yeah. I still do. I'm like, wow. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. For like, I would be kind of nervous about that kind of thing. It's like, why do you want me to be your mentor? <laughs> There's other. That would be your response. Yeah. 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 Came with you, that would be your response. Probably. Probably. Even though I would still probably give them advice or have a soft spot or something like in a Disney movie anyways I definitely set it up in a way that's like you know I'm I want to have conversations with you to help like be somebody that you can bounce things off of right and like that's what I I told her like 
you know, we could do this really like informally and it's just like checking in and making sure that you have a, you're growing your support system. And so, you know, I'm not some like know it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what has mentorship meant for you in your life? Exactly. Right. And that's exactly what I was thinking about. Like mentorship for me has been just guidance from folks that have been doing the things that I want to do longer, but has also just been like a soundboard. Like, can I, can I just like bounce this idea off of you? Like I, or I'm in a situation where I got a couple different opportunities. Like, can you help me sort this out? Right. It's like opening up to being able to have somebody to have these conversations with around strategy or like your personal or professional development. And I think it's just good to have those intentional relationships. Like I've, I myself have never asked somebody like to be my mentor, but I definitely have a bunch of mentors that I, people that women mostly that I like rely on that I hit up when I'm in circumstances that I just need help in. Go ahead, Isaiah. Oh, I was just going to say, it just kind of reminds me of the, there's an ongoing conversation, you know, about, uh, you know, credible messengers and other, and other things that uh, similar things like that, that would really help um, the young people or a lot of young people in the city. So that just kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. And due to like structural racism, usually a lot of folks are like the first of their kind in their family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they don't have that, uh, that long connection to people who've done it before them. So in mentorship within uh, communities of color is so important to like help lead the way. I mean, I know as a black man who's at a director of a nonprofit, I really didn't have one who, looked like me let alone come from another background come from a working class background and i had to make this this stuff up as i uh, as i went so uh i hopefully nobody's asked me so i put that out there to the world nobody's asked me to be their mentor but uh <laughs> you know if that opportunity ever uh, arose i definitely will step into it because i think it's really important to have people with a little bit of a roadmap to help folks out so that's dope that that uh, young person reached out to you It's true, you know, and like, I feel like in my own professional development, I've definitely come across some older leaders that are black and brown folks, and they're not willing to offer that mentorship, right? Like I see a lot of like, you know, quote, successful or folks that have like really made some accomplishments in their life that will pull the ladder up behind them, right? And I definitely think that that is just, you know, like the worst of the worst. I mean, I I can't, like you said, Rafi, like there's so many of us that this is like, we're the first of our kind. We're the first people to, you know, whatever it is, right. Be a director, go to college, you know, step outside of the service industry, whatever it may be. Right. And so when you look to somebody in the community and ask them for help and guidance, like for people to like turn away at that, like, and just be like, no, you know, I'm not, you know, I I don't feel comfortable or whatever the reason that they make up to not be able to step into that role. It's really heartbreaking. Um, And like part of me sees, you know, for people of color, for for just like folks like women. Right. Like there is sometimes is so little. Right. Like that they get this like scarce mentality like, oh, you know, if I give some of my wisdom to you, it's going to take away opportunities for me. And like, that's just that's that's really horrible. So. I was just about to say that, like the scarcity of resources, right? They be, you know, that's what it is. And a lot of folks, you know, aren't allowed to, based on the system we live under and live in, aren't allowed to graduate to the next day. So 
they are your direct competition, even if they are within this, they're doing the same work for 20 to 30 years, right? Like they are your direct competition. And that leads to this unnecessary competitive mindset that we have uh, sometimes amongst ourselves, you know? And that's why it's so, it's so important to, you know, really challenge all the things that creates that uh, scarcity mindset amongst people and amongst uh, folks doing the work we're doing just across the board. So, yeah, 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 it's messed sure. up. It's really messed up. In general, though, congrats on that, Joanna, as Thank well. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been, uh, I've been relatively okay, I think. most. I mean, it's winter, so mostly it's just work. Uh, kind of like what Ralph, uh, Ralphie said. Uh, I'm really trying to kind of at least be cognizant and mindful of kind of like what my mind and body needs. Uh, and I actually just noticed that uh, Representative uh, Supreme War Omokunde was, uh, I believe it, it may be tomorrow evening, but uh, uh, there's like a online kind of panel or forum on the importance of uh, black, uh, black men and, and, people of color in general, uh, kind of maintaining their mental health and just kind of increasing, uh, you know, uh, mental health awareness amongst, um, amongst those communities, uh, and kind of being, and kind of opening the door to kind of talk about it and have it be less stigmatized and such and less siloed off, um, so that people can actually get the help that they need. Uh, so, I feel like I kind of fall into that trap a little bit too. You know, you just kind of try to keep going and not really think about certain stuff. So lately I've been really trying to acknowledge when I'm tired and sore and fix it. You know what I mean? A lot of it too is just a lot of the sedentary lifestyle with working from home a lot and et cetera, which is how hard, okay. how hard is it for you to do that? Cause I know from myself, right? Like I was never, and this is not like, of course, it's not shot at, at moms or the people who raised me. It's just they didn't know either. Right. But I never mm -hmm. was taught to, I was taught, taught to run through it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And not to be like mindful and take that time. Right. It's like how you deal with that type of stress is you just run through it. You push through it. You push through it. And I'm like, you know, really when COVID first happened, I start, I start seeing all the black people were dying in their 40s and 50s. Mm. Right. And it was just like, my God. And I knew and it and it was part of the what was that uh when they were talking when COVID uh, pre-existing conditions and that was and it was the stress of being living as a black person in America, I think contribute a lot to that. And I really it was during that period of time and just you know trying to get myself together. I'm like, I for one, I want to live and two, I like I gotta stop trying to push through things that's going to be detrimental to my health in the future. You know, I'm really going to have to try to be mindful. I'm really going to have to take the time off that's necessary. And I feel guilty when I do, you know, like has, have you got to that point where you like actually sit back, re-examine and take that time? At, at moments. Yeah. At times. Yeah. And I think that I need to get more creative with kind of how I spend that, re that kind of recharging time. And I think you're right. Just as black people and people of color, we don't, I mean, it's not really mental, you know, taking that kind of personal spot check and um, just what you said, that that mentality was kind of pushing through and just kind of 
keep going and not think about it, not acknowledge things, don't talk about things, you know, just kind of play past it. Uh, even if it's like inner family issues that won't be fixed, you know, <laughs> uh, unless yeah. you do talk about them, you know, it just, we're just not really conditioned in, in that way. And part of it is probably just a socioeconomic survival mode that's lingered for yep. too many generations. So I don't know. That's don't exactly what I was going to Right. Yeah. And like, that's exactly what I was going to say too. It's right. Like you think about moms and the people that raised us, right? Like they didn't have the privilege to even take the time, right? Like you think about taking a day off from work now, right? Like I'm salary, you know, I got a really great PTO package or, you know, six time package, right? Like back in the day when I was a kid, if my mom didn't go to work, she didn't get paid. Right. That means there was one less day on the paycheck. And for a single mom with four kids, right. That's, that's a dent. That's a, a, that's a your lot, electricity right. Bill. That's your electricity bill. That's your, that's, 100%. Your, that's your food in your, uh, your refrigerator. Right. Clothes for your kids, that kind of thing. You know, most definitely Jordan. That is true. It, it is a, a, a certain privilege that we do have. But also, I think we, that's why it's so important for us to really challenge the system as it is, because that shouldn't, be a, it shouldn't be a privilege. It shouldn't be a privilege. Exactly. That, that It's a necessity. Right. right. You know, what I mean, it's a necessity because yep. people are people are, you know, dying way earlier than they should be dying or, you know, you know, going through trauma that they shouldn't have to experience just because the system has the inability to allow that time and that space for folks to actually be mindful of their mental and physical health. Right. I mean, we do live in a city where your life expectancy can dip by 12 years according to what zip code you're born into. And Mm -hmm. no matter what people assume, it's not, it's not just because of, you know, crime. A lot of it is really just the base environment that you're born into. You know, I, I don't know. Another thing too is, you know, it's Black History Month. It's February. It's February, and I think that when we talk about Black History Month, we we usually, you know, talk about you know historical figures who have been important um, in Black history uh, and and uh, and uh, advancing the quality of life of Black Americans. But I also think this kind of conversation fits into that too. You know, one hundred percent. It's just kind of like that spot check on yourself and your people. You can't have liberation without health. I know it's a cheesy saying, health is wealth, but that is so true. You know what I mean? Because, you know, quality of life is so important. It's so connected to your overall health, you know? So 100%, we need to emphasize that just as much as we emphasize the piece where it's uh, thinking about the ancestor. We also need to think about the future, right? And that's Mm -hmm. really important too. Right. (laughs) Right. Speaking of Black History Month, did y'all... uh, did y'all have any particular uh, shout outs you wanted to do for it or um, things you wanted to uh, raise up or acknowledge? Not not in particular, but I do think just this, the month, you know, because you know, it's this thing, I'm, it's less so now, but definitely a couple of years ago, it was like this conversation around like why only a month, not the year. And I get it 100%. I think uh, Black history should be a 365 thing we do because it's just not past this prologue right and i think it's important to know what happened in the past to inform our future but i do think it's really important for us to use this month to reflect you know what i mean to reflect where we were where we are and where we're going 
And I, I actually, as I got older, really appreciate the month for what it is and for that time, you know, and I'm glad I haven't heard so much of the debate, whether it's important. Or not. I think people have come to the conclusion that it's really important. And uh, yeah, for me, it's just overall just be able to think, read and reflect. Um, yeah, I just appreciate the opportunity to have that focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's definitely interesting how um, maybe the conversation around Black History Month has shifted from, you know, between just kind of like the, I guess, everyday average person and just some of the kind of conversations we have in our state government. Um, I have had to write about uh, kind of the growing divide. You know, Black History Month is kind of becoming an odd point of contention at the state level and the state government. Um, It is worth mentioning. Uh, You know, last year, uh, you know, so every year the Legislative Black Caucus comes out with its own, with with a resolution to recognize and acknowledge Black History Month and pick particular people to honor. Uh, uh, and and, And it's usually a pretty good long list. Last year, because there were certain individuals, uh, activists in the community who were leading Black Lives Matter protests during 2020, and also because last year's resolution also sought to honor some of the people who had been killed by police or wounded by police, the Wisconsin Republican Party didn't want to support it. And in fact, they introduced a cap that I it's not really a counter resolution, but they introduced their own resolution to honor Rush Limbaugh, who even I have like childhood memories of like my, my parents not even talking about Limbaugh, but like playing like some of the things that he would say, you know, like to me, he was just kind of, a, you know, a bigot and, and it is just kind of seemed like an not interesting kind of. choice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> not not kind of, but it just seemed like a really interesting and unfortunate kind of choice. So then this year, um, Senator uh, Julian Bradley uh, introduced a Black History Month resolution, but only acknowledged the individual who created kind of the holiday period that became Black History Month. And it's separate from the black legis- from from the legislative black caucuses kind of historical pattern of handling this so they recently put out their own resolution that they're circulating and hoping that uh, lawmakers will support and some of the people on that on that list there are some act- some local activists in Milwaukee Gab Taylor and others there are also Angela Davis and um, different athletes Colin Kaepernick and Giannis uh, there's a little sections about some of the just a little bi- biographical information on them and even uh jeffrey norman the milwaukee police chief is uh mentioned in there uh so it is int- it is interesting unfortunate to see kind of how that's become a point of divide this is a question i've been asking myself thinking about recently not even recently but just through some of the stuff that has been going on, just forces me to think about it a lot more, which is why are they so afraid of history? Mm. Like when you like think about this and then uh, with CRT, right? like why are they so, and I know that, I think we all know why, right? But like, 
for it to be so explicit now, so naked in how their attempts to erase history or rewrite history or whitewash history. And it's like, do they ever ask themselves why they're so afraid of history, right? And I, go ahead, John. I was just going to say, I think that they, it's because they associate it with like power and like them, them, right? Like meaning white folks, meaning the white race population, um, slowly becoming the minority, right? And so they are just using every single tactic they can possibly think of to hold on to what little power they have left in any way that they can, right? Like there's still the majority of lawmakers, right? In Wisconsin and across the country. And so they do everything that they can to make sure that that stays what it is. Even I would say like this, this legislation that um, Representative Bradley put out, like I just, part of my mind goes, I'm sorry. Yes, Senator Bradley, right. Part of my mind just goes to like Senate leadership and even, uh, representative Voss. And I'm just like, man, I bet you they are just loving this, like using this black man who's a senator, senator to put out this, like, basically like disappointing and offensive, um, legislation, right? Like they're using every tactic they can to hold on to power. And that's by erasing history and not acknowledging, you know, the contributions that black, black folks have given to this country. Some of it, too, might also just be uh, a reflexive need to defend um, certain myths that we tell ourselves about about American history and where America stands, uh, you know, not only within itself, but in the world. Um, it, I recall the uh, I recall the um, when there is a debate around, you know, changing um uh, you know, Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day and in changing the names of parks in, in, in the county. Um, and I recall, you know, uh, at the time, Alderman Bob Donovan, who's running, who is one of the people running for mayor now, um, kind of saying that he interpreted that as an attack on his Catholic faith and, and how he views history and kind of saw it as an affront to honoring Columbus, uh, who Columbus, along with in, uh, like a lot of the explorers in air quotes who uh, found their way to North America, Central America and South America. Uh, there's a lot of really kind of heinous and uncomfortable history associated with those individuals, you know, Pizarro, Cortez, et cetera. These were essentially pirates. Uh, who came and uh, used and abused and eradicated the population that existed there um, and, and in some ways enslaved them. So that is what happened, you know, uh, and it's, it's interesting to see these moments when they kind of, when modern people like Donovan kind of admit that, you know, it's not really about the history. It's about maintaining my idea of what that history is. And then they, and they link it into their religion and these things that you're not supposed to question, you know, like, and this really emotional, non-logical reaction, you know, the dominant, the dominant society needs 
the dominant narrative in order to keep social control, right? You know, and as the demographic, like John, I was talking about, as demographic change, those narratives definitely gonna change, right? Because America wasn't. Uh, I don't. I don't consider uh, Jefferson, Washington, and a lot to be the founding fathers of my country. They didn't even take me into account. They didn't take my people into account. And not to mention all the genocide that was happening at the time. And then more and more, uh, the descendants of those folks have more of a voice in this in this system. The more you're gonna have to deal with the uncomfortable truth of what this country really is. And one of the things that keeps people in control are narratives, right? How we perceive ourselves, the, the, what was the, the Reagan thing, the shiny city on a hill, that type of, you know, and it's just not, it's blatantly not true, but if you get enough people to believe in it and hold it to their heart, you can control them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why, that's part of why they're so, so afraid of history because it's a uh, it's a loss of social control, and um, I, for one, are so down for us to reinterpret history and not even reinterpret history, but establish the real history that went on. And I think that's the only way we can actually get to some real truth. I, I don't even like to use healing because it's so cliche, but like some real healing if only when we stand up in our truth and and uh, be serious about what happened in the past and. Uh, just this attack on history has been just interesting to watch and I, I enjoy the pushback. Mm-hmm. Kind of saw some of this, you know, recently there is a, uh, you know, the D- department of natural resources had a public hearing on um, the line three pipeline that uh, was subject to a lawsuit here because it went through the bad river reservation and they rerouted around, around the bad river reservation, but it's still, is routed in a way that could affect their water if and when it leaks. Um, And obviously pipeline issues are rooted in colonialism, uh, lack of respect for treaties, uh, and really a lack of respect for, um, you know, really just human beings and the earth, really, the earth itself. And during that conversation, you know, uh, you, you, and this isn't past history, but this is like more modern history. During that meeting, you, you saw a lot of shades of that you saw people from from the pipeline industry coming out and kind of saying, because for example, with the with with the uh, man camps, as they're called, which are basically these areas where the people who built the pipelines like where, where, where they live. Cause a lot of them come from out of state and et cetera. They have to live on site. Uh, and sometimes a lot of times, whenever these man t- camps come and go, you know, native, native girls and women, they come up missing, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, people who go missing and they're never found, or if they're found, they're dead, or there's a lot of reports of human trafficking and stuff. And it was almost as, and this is, this seems to be kind of like a really accepted fact except to these pipeline individuals, because they're really defensive about it. And they're like, that's not a problem. Like they, they almost wrote that off as like myth, you know, like that's not really what happens. We don't do that. And even if it does happen, we discipline the people or we have things in place. So there's this kind of ongoing narrative control. Meanwhile, the unfortunate um, specters of that history are continuing to kind of exist. You know, um, you know, when you have a city like Milwaukee that was really designed like around segregation and redlining and you have a lot of people who live 
in the areas that benefited from that redlining, saying that racism is basically isn't a problem, while there are racist letters circulating in in their community whenever people decide to protest and say Black Lives Matter, that that's a funny, funny contradiction. Funny contradiction. That's the world we live in, I guess. That's the place we live in. <laughs> Speaking of Bob Donovan, um, you know, uh, with uh, the mayor's race, there is what is that next week, Tuesday, um, that people are going to vote on the 15th? Yep. February 15th, we got the spring primary, Milwaukee mayor, bunch of county board seats. There's a few contested county board seats. Um, district 12 is is a big one, I would say. It's an open seat, and <clears throat> it's my district, so I, I, I consider it a big one. Um, but, you know, well, we have some just, you know, clearly different candidates, right? Like um, two Latino men are running, um, a black woman is running, and then this white man. So um, white man, rep- former representative Josh Zepnik, um, right? He served in the legislature for a, a hot minute, right, of District 9. Um, and then had these like Me Too allegations, right? Lost his reelection and then kind of has been in the dark. And then all of a sudden he's like emerging as this county board candidate. Juan Miguel, a young Latino man um, running running um, and who's endorsed by Citizen Action. In fact, we're going to be canvassing uh, for him this Saturday, um, Saturday the 12th. We're going to be gathering at New Line Cafe uh, on Pier Street in the South Side to do some, to knock some doors for Juan Miguel. Uh, it's starting at 10 a.m. So if folks want to come through, come through. But he is an activist, uh, union organizer, journalist, right? Somebody that you wouldn't think would be a politician, but is doing his thing and you know took the leap and is putting in the work to get out there and just be a different type of an elected, right? Um, and then the other folks, uh, I'm not too familiar with them. One of them is a Latino man, Christian Saldivar. He is, he's ran for the assembly before, ran for um, an aldermanic seat before too, but more of a like moderate Latino. And the fourth individual, I, man, I know nothing about her. I believe that her name is, um, what is it? King, something King not too familiar with her at all, but I was listening to them talk yesterday at a forum and like what I noticed about these three candidates outside of Juan Miguel, right? So Christian, Josh, um, and this woman, and that's really bothering me. Rosie King. That's her name. Sorry. So Rosie King, Josh Zepnik and Christian Saldivar all like, like just like this kind of like respect for law and order and you know, Josh straight up said like, oh, Milwaukee County um, Sheriff's Department is like deprived of money. And like, that's why they can't do, do their jobs effectively and stuff. Right. And like, just kind of like the status quo conversations around like not trying to trying to see like change in our communities, but not coming up with different ways to create that change. Right. Like, wanting change, but wanting to do the exact same thing that, th- that we've always seen done in government. Um, and so that's why I just think it's a really unique race. Um, I think that Juan Miguel brings a unique perspective and I'm really excited to knock doors for him and vote for him. Mm. It is a certain uh, built-in stupidity we have in, uh, <laughs> in our 
stupidity or, or insanity? I think, it, I think it's a little bit of yeah. You probably you probably right. It probably is a insanity. I don't know how intentional it is, but you know, we people write all these books that have all these documentaries about you know the war on drugs, the crime bill, mass incarceration. It was an article that just came out a couple of months ago about how one in thirty six black uh, residents in Wisconsin are incarcerated or on papers. Mm-hmm. And with all the evidence, even across the country, when you look at uh, the results of uh, stop and frisk. People still just fall back into more police, mm-hmm. and it's, I have yet to encounter outside of just the the activist circles and the people who are really pushing back on uh, the police any real conversation about the causes of crime and how you, they can be. It's a large part of it's preventative, just like health, right? And it's it amazes me how we never get to the root of the problem. And I know it's intentional, right? Because to get to the root of the problem, you will actually have to ask people to dedicate resources to people they don't think deserve the resources, right? So mm-hmm. I, I know why it don't happen. But I, it amazes yeah. me that we have streets across this country pushing back on that, you know? Because it, 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 it plays on people's fear too, right? I know people, you know, if you watch the, the news every day, you're that's where we're living in, like, you know, Mad Max or something like that. I, and I don't say that to be dismissive. I know it's real out here for some folks to have those type of worries, but it's also we can't use that fear as a way to turn inward against our own selves and lock up our own, right? And I think we're, we're so used to that, falling back on that. And I think that's also on us as folks to do the work that we do to really present the community with real alternatives to policing, right? Because this is the same stuff these folks are talking about didn't work. It hasn't worked for the last 50 years. It's not going to work because it doesn't get to the root of the problem. And it's going to just cause more trouble. And we know this, you know, and that's my issue with it. It's like, how can we be so stupid? Or as you say, uh, uh, Isaiah, insane that we keep on doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, I think some of it is, I think that it, I think that a lot of things, it's really multi-layered and it probably comes, it, it probably, kind of shifts depending on what what perspective you're in in terms of a person trying to maintain power um i think that when people start talking about defunding the police you know a mayor might feel some kind of way about that republican state representatives may may feel some kind of way about that but um i'm sure that people in the defense community at the federal level and DOT department of defense and stuff are kind of concerned about that because if you defund the police, why don't you defund the military? Right. And uh, we have a giant bloated military budget. We outspend all the countries that we're supposedly so afraid of Russia, China, Iran, we outspend them by a giant margin. So it kind of, part of it might be this kind of strategic kind of like, a strategic trickle up effect like like certain people are afraid that if they get one then they'll work towards the other or if they talk about one then they'll realize they should talk about the other uh and then more locally i i I just find a, a major lack of empathy uh not just from not just from kind of quote unquote you know the pro a pro police crowd quote unquote but also from some uh, residents within black and brown communities, or there's just a lack of want to empathize with young people, especially, uh, and, 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 and see it as they need something besides 
something punitive to to punish them you know i think that it's like a kind of kind of multi-layered and it is insane because you can't lock up everyone you know you can't lock up everyone and 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 you can't you can't what you're going to do is you're basically going to create a situation where you pick an area you you over police it for decades and decades and you either lock everyone up the people are dying of crimes of poverty or they decide to move and then you're creating a situation where those people are not there anymore so then you can kind of take the area and then it'll become better right you know and it's like not really because you you actually didn't help anyone you just kind of siphoned off the area of human life you know and kind of try to hit the reset button so it I think that it, it it's it, you know, with each layer you go into, probably the motivations kind of change a little bit as to why they want to cling to that. I also think that the public safety thing is just an easy, <laughs> low-hanging fruit for a politician or a new someone running running for the first or second time for something. It's just something easy for them to get votes, you know. Um and they're okay with perpetuating a dead conversation, you know, as yeah. long as it gets them in office. It's so weird though, right? Like you hear them talk and say things like that, you know, we, we need to invest in our kids and, you know, we need to make sure that like we have um, these folks to support, like, you know, to respond to like mental health crisis and stuff like that. Right. But they say these like really great things. Right. But then you see them out there doing stuff and it's like, Oh, but you know, you don't want to change the fact that Milwaukee is, you know, get Milwaukee police is getting like 33% of our, our spending budget. Right. Like it's so contradictory. Like you say one thing, but then you do another and it like, I don't know. That's like the frustrating part. Like, I don't know. I just have been looking at some of these mailers that I've been getting from mayoral candidates and you know, you see like Sheriff Lucas, like I'm looking at this one that he's just sent right now. And it's the whole thing is on like policing and like, right. He has this story. Like it was on this corner. I was, it was on this corner. I was 12 getting groceries for my grandmother. The first time I was targeted by a Milwaukee cop. Right. So he's trying to like emphasize, empathize with like communities of color right which like are i know what racial discrimination is from uh from a policing perspective but we still need a lot of police right but like in and in then and like in the same breath or the next breath he'll say something like you know now is not the time to be uh, you know taking funds away from law enforcement right because of because of the crime rates and whatnot so it's just like what do you like how he's messing with our minds like it's so frustrating I also find it. I was going to say that I also find it interesting that as people have these conversations, let's what I'm hearing, especially at the state level, is let's put more cops on the ground to lock more people up. Let's make as many crimes uh, available for them to give people felonies and things like that so that they're not going to get out on like a deferment program or something. They're going to sit in prison until they're going to sit in jail until we decide to send them up to prison. they want to fund that and then they want to fund correctional officers to make sure that you have enough prisons and correctional officers to keep people uh, there. But they don't want to fund either the, the uh, public defender's office or the prosecutor's office, the district attorney's office. You know, they, 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 they don't want to fund other parts of the criminal justice system that are important to making sure that we don't have an overpopul- like an overpopulation of incarcerated people. Um, I, I find that interesting, too. I just wanted to add that. 
And this is where careerism comes into play too, right? I mean, that plays with a certain crowd, which you read with Ornell Lucas, right? And unfortunately, that probably will help him get more votes. But that's what's, when you rub against what's good for the individual versus what's good for the collective, right? Mm -hmm. And I think so much, so many of our politicians are really worried about what's good for themselves and their career rather than what's going to be good for the collective. There's no way you can be a black man and think more policing than we will be good for the black community. I don't think, I don't know how you can wrap your mind around that. After the the devastating impact of uh, the crime bill, of the war on drugs. How, I mean, I think it's more black men incarcerated around the world than like anywhere else. I mean, I'm pretty sure that is, that's the truth. It's more black American men locked up in, in this country than anywhere else. No, it's not even a, a equivalent anywhere you can find in the world. And yet you have a black man who's running for office calling for more policing, mm-hmm. right? And he knows that he's no dummy, but it's good for his career, right? And it might help him. It probably, unfortunately, it probably probably will help him to take that stance. I hopefully uh, we can get to the point with a politically maturity, or a political maturity that we realize when folks are actually in the business for themselves rather than the collective. And that's what a, uh, a local politician or politician superior is supposed to be doing for it. They're supposed to represent the collective, but so much, so many times we've been conditioned just to accept individualism and what's good for the individual and celebrate that, you know, and then you can get off into representation and how that can fall, fall in mind too. So, yeah, I, I just think we just need to call it out when we see it. Mm. And speaking of, speaking of the mayors, uh, uh, speaking of the mayor's candidates, uh, as mentioned earlier, there there was a forum that was uh, hosted and live streamed. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, it's literally the video is literally called Milwaukee Mayor Candidate Forum. It was posted by it was live streamed by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel because, of course, there's a a uh, infrastructure of established media in the area that hosts these forums and press events and press club events and stuff for candidates like this during that uh converse, uh during that uh two hour and 20 minute forum uh there was an interesting moment at least for me one of the candidates michael sampson had the nerve to call out the forbidden ones the fusion center in milwaukee uh, and for those of you who don't know the fusion center is basically the intelligence gathering hub of the Milwaukee Police Department. It's a concept that was created after 9-11. They have a lot of authority and there isn't a whole lot of understanding as to what fusion centers do state to state. Uh, Here, uh, they, you know, they handle a lot of the surveillance technologies. They do have other functions, but they but there's things that they that they handle. It's the cell phone tracking technology. It's the it's the cell phone cracking technology. It's the shot spotter system where they put the audio sensors around the city to detect gunshots, but they can also hear human voices. Uh, and the root and they also monitor social media um, and who knows what else. And Michael Sampson kind of said, you know, we need to get rid of, uh, well, he called it the stack program because that's, that's like one half of fusion, um, which is that part of it is like a joint terrorism task force partnership with the FBI. Uh, And um, he, he said, you know, we need to get rid of the stack program, you know, and that would save the city $3 million. They already have a similar thing in Madison. We don't need one here. 
it's just very interesting to see these previously obscure aspects of the police department kind of come into the public conversation on a mayor's stage and say, this needs to be cut, you know? And I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't even understand really what the fusion center is. There are cops who don't understand what the fusion center is. Uh, but that's interesting. The defund the police conversation is changing a bit. Yeah, it definitely is. And um, maybe we'll put the link to that form in the show notes. I know I want to check it out too. I, I heard from some people that were there live um, and thought it was, it was a good conversation and, and insightful. So um, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be bringing this one to a wrap. So folks, make sure you get out there and vote. I do want to like quickly talk about like just voting and early voting. So we're recording Thursday, February 10th, right? Early voting in Milwaukee goes until Saturday, um, right? There are some places um, like in Midtown Center, the Blackie Library on the south side that are open Saturday from like 10 to 2. Um, make sure y'all get out there and cast your ballots, right? There are seven individuals running for um, Milwaukee mayor, and this is the primary, right? So after February 15th, it'll narrow it down to two candidates and then we'll vote again on April 5th, but like get out there and make yourself heard, right? Like participate also, in this. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, everyone still has five days to kind of educate themselves on the, ver on, on the candidates. I think this mayor's forum is a really, uh, good, easy thing that people can do. Maybe you're washing dishes or driving somewhere. You can just listen to uh, the uh, what what the candidates say. There's also been some reports coming out from local media uh, about just the various funding and dark money funding, essentially, that's kind of uh, going into certain of the candidates. Cavalier Johnson or Erno Lucas has raised a lot of money, et cetera, to call out a couple. And also highlighting the point that some of the candidates uh, have state Republican support, which is unusual given how hostile Republican policies in Wisconsin are towards the city of Milwaukee. So educate yourselves, uh, know who you're voting for because it matters. hundred percent. All right, y'all. Well, it was a good conversation. Looking forward to the next one. Have a good couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Peace. Peace out. What up?